Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. I'm here to tell you about Bolin Brand Sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Brand Sheets get softer with every wash. They're made from the rarest organic cotton and designed to get softer over time. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order with code BUTTERY. So head to bollandbranch.com today. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Will we still be talking about the Northern Ireland Protocol in six months, do you think, to come, Secretary God, of State? I, God, I hope not. Polls, politics and parties. The latest Belfast Telegraph lucid talk polls tell us Sinn Féin are soaring above the pack but that the DUP has launched a successful fight back. Despite the cost of living crisis and huge problems in the NHS, Stormont's still not working. 41% of voters think if it stays like that, it should mean joint authority with Dublin. But 40% want direct rule from London if devolution is finished. In this episode of The Bell Tale, the Belfast Telegraph's political editor, Suzanne Breen, gives us an in-depth analysis into the state of Northern Ireland's parties, the decisions in front of the DUP's Geoffrey Donaldson and explains why nationalists are talking up joint authority. Suzanne, let's start with our recent Belfast Telegraph lucid talk polls. What did they tell us about the state of the parties? Well, Sinn Féin is still out in the lead. Um, It's the biggest party in Northern Ireland, as it was in May's election. It's on 32%. The DUP, again, as in May, it's in second spot on 27%. But whereas there was an eight-point lead in May by Sinn Féin, the DUP has closed that gap. Sinn Féin is still out in front, but the DUP has narrowed Sinn Féin's lead. It's now got a five-percentage-point lead. Alliance has solidified its position as Northern Ireland's third party. It's on 15%. The Ulster Unionists are down two points. They're on 9%, and I think they'll be very concerned at the slippage. The SDLP is on 7%, and the TUV of of our big parties comes in on 5%. Suzanne, 32% for Sinn Féin, if that translated into votes on a poll day, that's very, very strong for a single party here in Northern Ireland. It's a remarkable performance um, by Sinn Féin to be breaking through that 30% point barrier. Um, Some people maybe thought that May's assembly election represented an electoral ceiling for Sinn Féin. Clearly it does not. Sinn Féin is up two percentage points since our last poll in August, and it's up three percentage points since May. It seems to have gained this time from the anti-abortion Republican Party into, which is down one percent, and also from Alliance, which is down one 
percent. Now, some people may say, oh, imagine people who voted for Alliance going to Sinn Féin. That's pretty hard to believe. But there were a lot of soft nationalists who gave their first preference to Naomi Long's party last time round. And they are this time supporting Sinn Féin because of the blockage on Michelle O'Neill being first minister. From Sinn Féin's point of view, the DUP is the gift that keeps on giving for the party. There's a lot of nationalists who feel that while it's not going back to the position of not wanting a Catholic about the place in Stormont, there is a feeling that certainly the DUP don't want a Catholic, don't want a nationalist in the top job. And I think as long as the DUP blocks Michelle O'Neill becoming First Minister for whatever reason, then the Sinn Féin vote is going to grow. Now, Michelle O'Neill herself, her own popularity, her own ratings is improving. She is the most popular party leader in Northern Ireland for the first time since we began polling. She beat Naomi Long, who most times secures that top spot. And she came in ahead, one percentage point ahead of Naomi Long. And what a big journey this has been for Michelle O'Neill since 2020 and the Ferrari and the controversy over Bobby Story's funeral where COVID rules were breached corporately by the party. Michelle O'Neill's messaging, Sinn Féin's messaging that she is a first minister for all really does seem to be working. Um, Even 15% of unionists said that she was doing a good or a great job. Her decision to go to the Queen's funeral and to meet King Charles has really reaped rewards for her and for the party. there was some discontent among very traditional Republican grassroots. I, I interviewed ex-IRA prisoners. I interviewed people, left-wing Republicans, who did not believe that Sinn Féin was behaving in a way that befitted an anti-monarchist party. Really, I think those people are few and far between, and there was far more support one by Sinn Féin on its its stance to the British royal family than there was support lost. Sinn Féin are not just passive passengers in this journey of success um, that they are undergoing. The DUP is helping, but Sinn Féin is, is very much also author of its own success. Michelle O'Neill has been transformed from someone who wasn't deemed to be a great performer. She wasn't as polished as as Mary Lou or as Colm Eastwood on 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 this side of the border. Um, but she she now would would have to be a big asset to her party. She appears very approachable, very relatable, very progressive. She seems to be massively popular with young people, and we will continue to see her adopt this presidential style approach in Northern Ireland of trying to reach out to all communities and presenting herself not just as a Republican leader, but as um, someone who, 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 who wants to work with everybody in Northern Ireland.
her IRA comments during the summer caused a huge controversy and understandably made IRA victims and, and, and other people very angry. Um, but this poll suggests that in the broad sweep of things for most voters, it, it, it wasn't a big deal and certainly didn't overshadow the other efforts that the Sinn Féin vice president has made. And Suzanne, turning to the DUP, and you mentioned there, you said that for Sinn Féin, the DUP were the were the gift that just keeps giving. Now, the DUP's tactics or strategy, we might say, with regards to Stormont and the Northern Ireland Protocol, I mean, that might be continually blasted by the commentariat. But this, this polling suggests that actually that's what the unionist core want the DUP to do. Well, the, if, if, if this is a good poll for Sinn Féin, then it's a brilliant poll for the DUP. On 27%, they're up three points from our last poll in August, and they're up a massive six points since the Assembly election in May. DUP voters who had defected to the TUV or the UUP are coming back in droves. The UUP is two points down and the TUV is one percentage point down in our poll. But it, if, if, if we look at the even bigger picture, in August 2021, um, there was a, a lucid talk poll that really kind of almost caused a, a, a minor earthquake within unionism. The, the vote between the three parties was split almost evenly. The Ulster Unionists were in 16%, the TUV were in 14%, and the DUP was coming in in third spot in 13%. This was a poll not long after Geoffrey Donaldson became party leader. And gosh, how he has managed to turn things around. The DUP then, the smallest unionist party, is, is now on double that vote and it really has extended its its lead since the May election. It is the main unionist party and the what what's good for, for the DUP will now be that it has the wind in its sails. Success breeds success. So at the next assembly election it can go out and say vote for us and we can become the largest party at Stormont again. It is doable. We are behind Sinn Féin, but it's a five percentage point gap. And, you know, we, we, we can turn this around again. The, the whole decision to move to the right to chase the TUV vote, that has proved to be a winner for the DUP strategically in terms of the party's own fortunes. And it, it could be argued that had it taken a harder line stance on the protocol before May's assembly election, it could have done better. But certainly it will very much feel that it is vindicated by this poll. And the recovery of the DUP, that's at the expense of both the UUP and the TUV. Well, the TUV is most certainly down. It's on 5%. That's one percentage point down on August. 
um, our listed talk poll then and three percentage point down on the assembly election in May. But I don't think Jim Allister will be really down in the dumps um, over this poll. He is very much a conviction politician and he will be happy if by holding the DUP's feet to the fire, it maintains its hardline protocol stance. Um, if the party doesn't, then he will think that he will sweep up again in terms of votes if the DUP compromises. But if he can hold the DUP on this um, very militant course on the protocol, then he will be happy. He will be looking to the council elections in May, next May, that's May 2023. Even if the TUV didn't get new MLAs to give him a bit of company on Stormont's benches, then he will be reckoning that there will be new TUV councillors elected across Northern Ireland. For the UUP, this poll I think will be very, very depressing. They're on 9%, and that's 2% down from our last poll in August. Doug Beattie's bounce really has flattened out and, and, and is actually on a downward spiral. He remains a very popular leader, but he's popular with Alliance and Green voters, with people who aren't going to give his party a first preference. He certainly can't be accused of a lack of leadership. He has rejected all attempts by the DUP for the Ulster Unionists to enter some sort of electoral pact or alliance with the party. He is for returning to Stormont for um, the parties forming an executive while the protocol negotiations continue. I think his problem is that the leadership he is offering is not that which the unionist community wants at this time. He is still too liberal and still too progressive for the community that he needs to get votes from. An alliance, I just wonder looking at these results, are alliance quite devolution dependent? Uh, with regards to the, you know, are they dependent on speaking about policy, etc.? Have has some of the shine of the Alliance Party been lost with Stormont being down? I don't think so. Um, Alliance generally do well in a crisis, and they're on fifteen percent. That is one percentage point down on our last poll in August. But it's better than the 13.5% the party secured in the May Assembly election. Um, I think Alliance would, would be hoping that if it got this vote in another Assembly election, perhaps next year, then it could hold on to all or most of the seats that it won in May. There are some seats that are certainly looking rocky for Alliance. Um, North Antrim there, Patricia Lynn would be under pressure. I think Paddy Brown would also be under pressure in South Down, Owen Tennyson in Upper Ban, and perhaps Alliance's Strangford seat could also be at risk. But 
the party is holding steady in that third spot in Northern Ireland politics. Liberal, unionist, liberal, Protestant voters still seem to be opting for alliance. And Colm Eastwood is generally recognised to be a capable politician, but he, he doesn't seem to be able to get the nose up here to stop this decline of the SDLP. Well, the, the SDLP is on 7% and that is the same as it was in our poll in August and it's two percentage points down on where the party was in May, which was pretty disastrous for the SDLP. Um, it is in a dire place. It just can't simply compete with Sinn Féin as long as the DUP block Michelle O'Neill from becoming First Minister. The best the SDLP can hope for, I think, is to cling on and to hope that there is a deal to restore devolution. And Matt O'Toole, who is very capable and very able, can go in there and as an opposition figure, in Stormont, do a good job of holding Sinn Féin and other parties to account. Colm Eastwood isn't in a great place with nationalist voters in terms of his own popularity. Um, our, our, our poll asked nationalists how they rated each party leader and 89% said they thought Michelle O'Neill was doing a good or great job. 71% said that of Naomi Long, but just 41% of nationalists said that of Colm Eastwood. So I, I, I wonder if perhaps the aggressive stance that he has taken against Sinn Féin is actually um, harming the party, that, that at times maybe it seems a wee bit too negative. Um, certainly, Colm Eastwood definitely does get stuck into the DUP and stuck into the Tory government. And I, I think when he does that, that's where he resonates with nationalist voters. He is very, very talented. He is probably the most articulate politician in Northern Ireland. But at the moment, it, it, it's within the nationalist community. It, I think it's it's very, very hard for him to really be competitive with Sinn Féin when the DUP are behaving as they are. That just leads droves of voters into Sinn Féin's arms. And probably no matter what he would do, the, uh, the SDLP would be in diffs. So, Suzanne, that's the state of the parties. And one of the things that occurs to me listening to that is that the, clearly the DUP have the support of the unionist community over their stance on the protocol. There has been no drop in support, no significant drop in support for the DUP tactics of boycotting Stormont until the protocol is scrapped or significantly changed. 80% of unionist voters said they supported Sir Geoffrey Donaldson's position on that. And that's down only two percentage points since August. And that is very, very surprising. We have shorter days, we have colder nights, and the cost of living crisis is starting to bite. And yet unionist voters are still behind the DUP, not allowing an assembly to um, meet and not entering the executive. 
49% of unionist voters said they wanted the protocol removed completely before the DUP returns, and 31% said they wanted significant changes to the protocol before the, the DUP went back to storm. And there was just 5%, and that's three points down since August, that said that the party should go back into the institutions immediately because the protocol wasn't as important as health and cost of living crisis. That's 5%. You know, So while the DUP's tactics are very um, unpopular with the other parties and draw a lot of media criticism, for the DUP, uh, among those who matter, who are likely to vote for the party, then their tactics are resonating. Now, one of the other results which has come out of this poll is that six in 10 people want Dublin to have some sort of role in governing Northern Ireland if Stormont closes. In fact, 41% of people polled wanted joint authority if that was the case, if Stormont didn't return. I would point out that 40% uh, would like direct rule from London. Where did this talk of joint authority come from, Suzanne? Well, the, the nationalist parties have been talking up joint authority very much in recent weeks, particularly Sinn Féin. Joint authority, it, it's kind of a vague concept. Um, I first recall it in 1984 um, at the time of the New Ireland Forum that involved the Southern parties and the SDLP. And the New Ireland Forum came up with three options um, on the way forward for Ireland. Irish unity, a federal Ireland or joint authority. And Margaret Thatcher famously said, out, out, out to all three. In the Anglo-Irish Agreement the following year in 1985, that offered Dublin a consultative role in Northern Ireland affairs, but there was going to be no transfer of sovereignty. Dublin wouldn't have an executive or a legislative role. Um, It wasn't even a case of a senior partner and a junior partner. Um, it, It was purely a consultative role. I think joint authority does go against the consent principles in the Good Friday Agreement, and I don't think that there is any realistic chance that it will happen. Um, Certainly, this is not just a a stance taken by the Tories. Uh, The NIO have ruled joint authority out. But if we go back to 2006, Peter Hayne, when he was the Labour Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, he ruled joint authority out. He said there is no question of joint authority. There is no question of it at all. I, I think what is happening is that the nationalist parties really want to say to the DUP, if the institutions remain um, in stalemate, if, if, if we have political paralysis, if that continues, then don't you think that there is the comfort blanket of British-only direct rule? That isn't going to happen. And I think that is why they are talking up the chances and the likelihood of joint authority, but it's not going to happen. Now, we seem to have come close to having this pre-Christmas uh, election 
we have avoided that for now. I think the vast majority of people in our society would say that was that's a good thing. Well, an election 10 days before Christmas would have been just complete and absolute madness. Um, it, it would have been an extravagant indulgence costing six and a half million pound. And it wouldn't have changed anything. It wouldn't have punished the DUP. I, I think on the contrary, it would have wiped out the middle ground um, in terms of the Ulster Unionists and the SDLP. Sinn Féin would have had a great election and picked up new seats. I find it difficult to believe that it would have been dislodged as the largest party. The DUP would also have had a very good election. Its vote likely would have been up. And winter elections favour big parties in general because they have big machines. They have more money than, than the smaller parties. It, it would have been very, very difficult and very challenging for the smaller parties to fight a December election. And I think we also have to think of independent MLAs, people like Alex Easton and Claire Sugden that have no party machine to rely on. It, it would have been very tough for them. I think there also would have been a great irony of the Tories going ahead with an assembly election in Northern Ireland in 2022 that nobody wanted while being scared of going to the polls at a Westminster election across the UK, which an awful lot of people think is actually merited. Chris Heaton-Harris, Secretary of State, uh, you know, it just does seem that he played a game of chicken with the NI parties. Perhaps they're naturally better at it. And given that he swerved, he almost seems naive now or, 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 or someone who has a lack of experience is, is is that is that fair? Chris Heaton Harris has very much undermined his own authority by being so proactive on the idea of an election, by playing the strong man and saying that it definitely was going to happen wherever it was, whether it 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 was talking to the parties, whether it was in the streets of Northern Ireland, whether it was in Parliament, he was saying that this was going to happen. And then we saw when push came to shove, he was forced to withdraw. I think it is very embarrassing for him, indeed humiliating for him. And it's noticeable that in our poll, um, Rishi Sunak's personal rating it was minus 28. Now, that's poor, but it's 36 points better than Boris Johnson was. So Rishi Sunak did have a bit of a bounce. For Chris Heaton-Harris, it was the opposite. His personal rating is minus 66, and that is 19 points worse than his predecessor, Shailish Farah. There's just 6% of people here that think that Chris Heaton-Harris is doing a good or great job. That's tiny. And I think the only positive that the Secretary of State can take from it all is at least the people of Northern Ireland will have no say in whether he is elected next time in the Westminster election. That, that That's the voters in, in, in Britain that will decide his electoral fate. And finally, Suzanne, we know that talks continue between the European Union and the UK as they have been for a long, long time on the Northern Ireland Protocol. 
Do you think that they can come up with the deal that not only satisfies each other, but will ultimately satisfy the DUP? I think most most observers believe that London and Brussels will reach a protocol deal. Um, the mood music seems to be good, but whether that satisfies the DUP um, is another thing entirely. Um, the deal may well fall short of the seven tests that the DUP has set. And then it's a really big moment for Sir Geoffrey Donaldson. Um, what does he do? It's it's a big moment as well for DUP party officers because it 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 won't just be Geoffrey Donaldson that is alone making that choice. If Rishi Sunak signs up to a deal, he will regard the protocol issue as sorted, as settled. If the ERG, if Steve Baker and Chris Heaton-Harris also agree that it's a good deal, then there's an awful lot of pressure on Jeffrey Donaldson's shoulders. If he says no, devolution is dead for the foreseeable future. And the DUP is a devolutionist party. Um, the institutions being down is damaging to the union and to unionism. It, it, it matters much less to nationalism and to Sinn Féin ideologically. But yet, if Jeffrey Donaldson sells a deal that falls short, then he will feel the TUV's wrath and he will feel the wrath of Jimmy Bryson. And potentially the support that the DUP has been building up, the, the voters that it's winning back, could all be gone. And we could see unionism again fragmented. So it's going to be very, very difficult for Jeffrey Donaldson to make that call about what he does and whatever choice he makes will have big consequences for his party, for devolution and for Northern Ireland. Susanne Breen, political editor with the Belfast Telegraph, thank you very much. This episode of The Bell Tale was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar. The sound design was by Graham Davidson. The clips you heard were from LBC, Sky and BBC. And if you want to find out more about the Belfast Telegraph's latest Lucid Talk poll, you can go to belfasttelegraph.co.uk. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.